Ephesians chapter number 4. I'll read the chapter. Thereafter we shall consider verse 7 to 10. Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the faith, sorry, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. 
Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray this morning that you may visit our hearts, that you may teach us your truth in our inner part. We pray that you may help us to receive your truth with meekness. Grant us your grace, Lord, to be faithful hearers and doers of your word. We look to Christ who is our only hope this morning. We pray that by your spirit you may illumine the eyes of our hearts so that we can receive your truth. Grant us your spirit of wisdom and knowledge in you, Father. We pray that you may help us strengthen our inner man, especially in light of uh, the, 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 the high temperature as well as the noises and other distraction, distraction that are in our midst. We pray that Christ may be honored and glorified, that your people may be nourished, strengthened, built up in the most holy faith. Forgive us, Lord, for all our sins. And we pray all this, believing and trusting in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue with our series through this letter to the Ephesians. This morning we shall be considering verse 7 to 10. Um, the sermon is titled The Gifts of the Ascended Christ to His Church. The Gifts of the Ascended Christ to His Church. We shall consider these gifts and the first aspect of this gift is that it is diverse in verse 7. The gifts given by Christ are diverse. And then in verse 8 and 9, Paul is going to build up the foundation for these gifts. He's going to tell us that the dissension and the ascension of Christ is the basis for receiving these gifts. Were it not for his dissension and his ascension, we will not have those gifts. That's the second thing. And then thirdly, you see his exaltation. That the ascended Christ is exalted above all heavens so that he might feel all things. This is a continuation of the great theme that begins in this chapter. That is the theme of Christian unity. And it is without doubt that as you look at these verses, God wants unity in his church. God has purchased that unity with the blood of his son. His spirit has created that unity in the body of Christ. On the basis of what God has done 
he calls us in <clears throat> the basis of what he has done he calls us in verse 3 and he says be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace you see god desires unity amongst his people god wants his church to grow i'm not talking here about numbers i'm talking about spiritual growth the thing with numbers is, is it is his prerogative but the kind of growth i'm talking about is spiritual growth that leads to maturity among believers god wants unity in his church he wants his people to grow spiritually god wants trinity reform baptist church to grow spiritually he wants us to mature in service in faith and unity and christ likeness in doctrine and in love that is his agenda god's will is for us to grow and mature in our faith and in our service to one another in order for us to grow and to mature christ has given us gifts and he gives his church gifts for their growth that is what we are going to see from verse 7 all the way to 16. it is the ascended christ who has given his people gifts for the purpose of growth and maturity these gifts are diverse within the church and we shall see how every one of us plays a role for the good of one another and for the glory of Christ and so we come to the first point the gifts given by Christ are diverse the gifts given by Christ are diverse look at verse 7 but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. There's something that should strike you as you read that verse. Because when you read verse 1 to 6, it's the language of one, one, one. All, all, all. There's a heavy emphasis on corporate unity in verse 1 to 6. But when you come to verse 7, all of a sudden, there's a shifting of the gear. There's a move from the one and all to the each one of us. There's a contrast. There's a move from the corporate to the individual. And so he's speaking here, having spoken of the corporate, the whole church is going now to speak of individuals, the diversity that we have within the church. You see, Christian unity must not be misconstrued as uniformity. Just because the church is one and united does not mean that we are all the same. True Christian unity is a unity in diversity. This is not something that the world can achieve. The people of the world are opposed to one another. They're opposed to each other's personality, outlook, temperament, background, culture. But what God has done, brethren, he has taken all kinds of people and incorporated them into the church. And we are all one under Christ, but we are different. True Christian unity is unity in diversity. So what does this diversity consist? 
this diversity has to do with different gifts Christ has bestowed on his church. It has nothing to do with the color, the race, the language. Material wealth. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with difference in our gifts. You see, we are not a replica of another Christian. We are not like packaged milk that is produced in the factory. That is the same. As much as we are one, and it is exciting in that way, but it's also interesting that we are diverse. We have different temperament, different personalities, different cultures, different backgrounds. We have give different gifts distributed for the enrichment for our common good, yet we are one. So there's a shift here from the glorious one body to the individual, and he says, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. When he speaks of grace, I don't want you to get the notion that he's speaking of saving grace. He's speaking here about serving grace. He's not talking about the gift of eternal life. He's talking about the gift of service, the gift of ministry in the local church. In every Christian, without exception, has been given a gift from the ascended Lord. So that none of us here can say this morning that we are useless. That there is nothing I can offer to the body of Christ. That I am weak. That I am I'm, I'm a new Christian. Rather, you should ask, what can I do for the body of Christ? Christ, the ascended God, has endowed everyone of us with gifts. We have received supernatural gifts for the body of Christ. We have been given according to the measure of God's grace. Put your finger in Ephesians and please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 4 to 7. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 to 7. The Bible says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Every single member of the body of Christ, brethren, has a gift to exercise and a function to perform for the growth of the church. And the rest of that chapter will tell us the manifestation of this spirit is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so turn back to Ephesians chapter 3. Paul also speaks of this grace, serving grace in Ephesians chapter 3. He says that he was given the stewardship of God's grace. And that right away indicates that when God gives a person saving grace, ultimately, God reaches out and gives them serving grace. He infuses in them serving grace so that every one of us 
as God's trophy is endued with gifts for the good of one another. And this grace is the fruit of saving grace. It's, it's, it's a grace that is given in form of gifts for the sake of the church. And every one of us is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the one who sovereignly distributes this grace. He measures it out to mean that every one of us, to some extent, every one of us is different to some extent, yet are given different gifts. And so it is measured out by necessity so that there are others who are given more grace than others. But it depends on the necessity. So it is limited. And Christ is sovereign over that. So as much as it is individually given, we also need one another at the end of the day. Because none of us has all the gifts. None of us is sufficient. In chapter 4, verse 16 of Ephesians, Paul summarizes the whole thing. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that when they, everything is working out together, we are one body, we are one faith. We've been brought together by saving faith. And Christ measures this grace to end each individually, to each individual separately. And we're able to work together, work properly. For what? For what purpose? For the purpose of growth, for the purpose of being built up in love. And so none of God's children misses out on this Christ bounty. The Bible teaches that if you're in the body of Christ, you've been given the grace gift to be employed. Nobody is left out. We have different functions, different gifts, and we have to serve one another. And this brings out the glorious equality in the body of Christ. The function of my gift is dependent on the function of your gift. And so what is a glorious individuality is also a glorious interdependency among the whole church. And the implication also as well in this verse is that this grace is not from anyone. You cannot manufacture it. You cannot create it. It must come from Christ. So that when a person is converted, they may have talents and gifts and abilities that have been given through nature. But they will not be useful until those gifts and talents and ability have been sanctified for their good and for the good of others. And so spiritual gifts are God's endowment given to us by the Holy Spirit. And think of the Corinthians. They boasted of what they had. And Paul tells them, what do you have that you did not first receive? And if you receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? The reality is, whatever God has endowed you, by the power of Christ, by the enablement of the Holy Spirit, it is not something to puff you up. It's not something to boast about. 
On the other hand, it is not something to hide under a bushel. It is something that must come out. It must be seen. People must experience your gift. People must benefit from your gift. And should be used for the good of the whole body and for the glory of Christ. And so, do you realize, brethren, that the unity of the church consists in the diversity of the gifts? And these gifts come from the same Spirit, as we've seen, come from the same Lord, come from the same Christ. Let me say that you can be a Christian and not know the gifts that God has given you, but you could still be useful in the body of Christ. You do not need to have some sort of inherent job description for you to know what God has wired you to do. Just do something. Just do something that is in front of you. Serve one another. And as you serve, you realize that you have a, you have a gift of hospitality, for instance. As you serve one another, you realize that you have patience with children. Someone else may pick up that child and that child will cry. But when you pick them up, they keep quiet. That you can handle them and remain silent and they can remain silent. The Lord Jesus Christ has gifted us differently. Others have been gifted to open their mouth and serve. Others have been endowed with strength physical strength to do manual work. For instance, the brethren who help us to arrange here. The brethren who help us in the kitchen. All of us are gifted differently. As Christ is giving us the, these abilities, and none is greater than the other. All should be used for the glory of Christ. Some gifts are endowed with more grace than others, but there's no one more special than the other. And so when Christ saved you, he did not save you just for you to live the kind of life you want, to be isolated. He saved you so that you can serve others in the church. He saved you so that you can bring him glory. And he's going to give you that grace to serve him. Paul is going to drive the points that this grace is nothing less than the necessary result of his glorious triumph and ascension. That when Christ ascended, he did not leave us poor. That he gave us every individual grace according to the measure of his gift. And so we move to the second point. Notice the foundation of these gifts. The second point is the foundation of the gifts is the dissension and ascension of Jesus Christ. Verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 and 9. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of, cap of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. So Paul here, this is a very difficult passage, and I hope you follow along 
uh, very closely. Paul here is going to give a theological foundation for making the assertion that these gifts have been given to us, to the church. And he's going to focus on Christ's ascension and by way of implication, Christ's dissension. Paul is saying, do you know how I can prove to you from the Old Testament how Jesus Christ gives gifts to, to his church? He's going to quote Psalm chapter 68. So keep your finger in Ephesians chapter 4. Please turn to Psalm 68 verse 18. Psalm 68 verse 18. And this is one of the most glorious Psalms in the Old Testament. This is one of the most difficult Psalms. So Psalm chapter 68 verse 18. It says, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord may dwell there. So the picture here is a portrait of God returning in triumph after he has overthrown the enemies of the Israelites. And many a times in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel got into difficulties and challenges and they cried out to God in distress and God came from heaven and rescued them. That is the picture the psalmist is going to give us here. God is returning from battle in triumph and Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, applies this to the work of our blessed Christ. God is a warrior who triumphs. And his triumph is demonstrated in Exodus, in the wilderness, in the conquest of Canaan, and the establishment of his own kingdom. So this psalm celebrates God's victory and return to heaven. And so it's a picture of Christ who has conquered death, who has conquered the evil one? Who has conquered the grave? And Christ has conquered all this when he descended here on earth and he has ascended on high and is dispensing his gifts to the church. Christ has returned to heaven and every knee shall bow. And when he has ascended, he has showered his gifts to the church. And so the give of the gifts is the ascended Lord. These gifts are distributed by the ascended Lord. And so when you read Psalm 68, you may notice that there's a bit of, of a discrepancy. There's a change here by Paul from the second person singular to the third person singular. Instead of saying he received, he turns around and says he gave. Uh, some will say that Paul was quoting from memory and so he misquoted. Like often what we do 90% of our time when we, when we quote scripture. So that there is a mix up of words. There is a change of words and such things. And some, some theologians will say that Paul was quoting from a different versions of manuscript so that some manuscripts will say 
they were received, some will say they were given. But Psalm 68 is a military conquest psalm. And in the context of war, when people have gone for to uh, people, people have gone to war, when they return in triumph, what do they bring? They bring spoils. They bring what they captured to the people, to their people. And that is what Christ has done. He has conquered the enemy and he has given his people the spoils, the tribute. But I believe what Paul is doing here, he paraphrases Psalm 68 to make his point. He does this by changing the second person to the third person. And notice also that Paul shifts from the use of the second person plural you to the first person plural we in order to identify himself with the readers. So this one body has been joined together, brought together by the power of God through his spirit and each member is given grace by Jesus Christ. And so he hearkens Psalm 68 which has explicit overtones giving gifts of men and giving gifts of the Holy Spirit so that the one who has ascended is the one who has given ministers to the church so that each one of us can serve one another and build up one another in love. But before that, he's going to expand this verse even further and talk about Christ's ascension and Christ's dissension. Look at verse 9. He says, in saying, he ascended. What does it mean by that? He had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. So by way of implication, because Christ has ascended, he had also descended. These two verses are central to Paul's argument. And from verse 9 to 11, he continues to interpret Psalm 68 in terms of Christ's ascension, in terms of Christ's dissension and giving gifts to his church. The question that has bogged down the minds of theologians throughout church history is some, some of your translation will say that Christ descended into hell. Did Jesus Christ descend into hell? You have the Apostles' Creed which makes that claim. And I hope that I may be able to help you answer some of those questions and make a number of uh, explanations. The text literally says, in saying he, he ascended, what does it mean by that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? The, the ESV will render it the earth. Paul is trying to make the deduction from Psalm 68 and he's saying how can we affirm that Christ has ascended unless we first affirm that he descended here on earth and so Psalm 68 is portraying this picture of God coming down to his people 
as a military warrior in divine conquest. This little phrase here, the lower parts of the earth, this is not an easy part. Please follow along because you need a lot of thinking here. There are many interpretations to this text and the history of the church it has been interpreted to mean Christ descended into Hades. The notion that Christ descended into hell has a strong root in Catholicism and the Lutheran movement. Another reference that they have is in First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Time will not allow us to venture there. But what Paul is trying to show us in chapter 4, verse 9, is the contrast between ascension and descension. Christ descended to the lower parts of the earth. He ascended far above the heavens. That is the contrast in this passage. The descent in verse 9 is about his incarnation and even his death on the cross. And the context helps us to see here there's a, there's a parallel between Christ's ascension and descension. It has nothing to do with hell. The passage here has no context about Hades or hell. It's talking about his incarnation and often it is called his humiliation. The second reason is, has to do with grammar. At the lower regions, the earth explains in hyperbole the depth that Christ had to do for us, for him to come here on earth. Christ is, Paul is referring to Christ's physical descent on this earth. And so we must reject the view that Christ descended into hell. That is simply erroneous. It's a foreign teaching. There's no context in this verse. There's not even a single statement in the New Testament that hints at that. We are told that on the cross, Jesus Christ committed his spirit to his Father. Are we told that he went into hell? No. We are told Christ said on the cross into your hands, I commit my spirit. So his spirit was in the Father's safekeeping. It was not in hell. His spirit was in the Father's safekeeping until the third day when he rose again. And so there's nothing here that can be substantiated as Christ descending into hell. It's only speculation. And so Paul here uses a graphic pictorial way to describe Christ's descent into the, into the earth. And he's using that to contrast. And so this is not referring to the grave, but he's referring to the depth of his humiliation when he came on this earth. And then thirdly, or if I make a last argument, 
there was no point of Christ going to hell because the atoning work was completed on the cross. He did not need to go to hell for his atoning work to be completed. And there's no reference even in the Old Testament of that. And so lastly, the last point, verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Third point is Jesus Christ is exalted above all heavens so that he might fill all things. And so here we get to Christ's exaltation. The hymn writer says, The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. Psalm 24 verse 3, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Indeed, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Does anyone here claim to have clean hands, pure heart? Because there's no one really who can ascend to the hill of the Lord. There's no one who can stand in his holy place. None other than the descended and the ascended Christ. You see, the ascension here is far above all heavens. This is hyperbolic language, pointing to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has gone to a place of unrivaled supremacy. No one is more exalted than the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20. That he walked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all authority, all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all the same phrase again he uses uh, in the in chapter chapter four so he's talking here about his exaltation he's talking about the enthronement at the right hand of god's majesty and if you look at the context of psalm 68 it is a picture of the ascending king who has triumphed over his enemies. So not only is he ascended, but he is exalted. He is enthroned. Jesus is king right now. And the reign of Christ is not a future event. It is now, it is happening currently. He accomplished the office of a king and is ruling and reigning at the father's right hand and then the apostle says that he might feel all things what does he mean that by that phrase it means more than what I'm about to tell you the idea here is Christ has sovereign rule over all. 
he has absolute control and sovereignty over his people. And Paul prays in chapter 3, verse 14 to 16, that Christ may fill us. Look at chapter 3, verse 14 to 16. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, So we see here that Christ has all this control and the prayer of Paul is that Christ may fill you. You may have more and more of Christ in you. That you may experience his power, his presence, his glory. That the church may have this Christ-like influence to the world. Christ has put everything in subjection under his feet and the last enemy to be defeated will be death see brethren these are truths that should nourish our souls that should encourage you that should strengthen your faith should fill your heart with gratitude as we gather lord's day after lord's day you realize christ is coming one day to judge the living and the dead and Christ has taken away your punishment. He has paid the consequences of your sin. And Christ is coming to establish his kingdom. Kingdom of justice and righteousness. A kingdom that will never end. And you will be part of that kingdom forever and ever. With Christ your king. If you have not believed in the gospel... You're not a follower of the incarnate Christ. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that through him, the world might be saved. You see, what unbelievable love God must have on perishing sinners like us. Sending his one and only Christ Jesus. This kind of love calls us to embrace him as our own savior. How in the world can you resist such a king? How can you resist such a love? You must humble yourself today. Come to him in faith. Turn away from your sin. Look to Christ. Because it's a coming day when he will descend again. The second return from heaven. And the, dead will, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who will be alive will be caught up with him in the skies. And we shall be with the Lord forever and ever. This is a coming day. Christ will come. And this is not a myth. He's coming with power and glory. And are you ready to meet your King and Savior? Or have you not made yourself right with Him? Because the picture, uh, the picture uh, portrayed here 
is a picture of a military conquest and it's coming to slaughter those who are his enemies and so i call on you to look to the lord jesus christ in closing you see it's the will of god for you to grow and to mature in the faith that is why he's given you spiritual gifts if i may ask you is the priority of your life to mature in the faith one of the reasons why Christ descended and he ascended is so that you can receive spiritual gifts. And Jesus Christ did not only save you to exempt you from eternal hell. Jesus Christ saved you so that you can be strengthened and empowered to serve his people. It's your will to grow in the faith is it your desire a priority is, is your priority to grow in the grace because if it is not that is counterproductive to the whole purpose of Christ descending and ascending into heaven and God's desire is that you may grow you may mature and bring glory to him Is that your priority today? Do you see growth and maturity of this local body as a priority? Do you desire to see growth and maturity of Trinity Reformed Baptist Church? Do you desire to be part of it? You see, that's the reason you're here. That's the reason why you're saved and brought into the context of the church so that you can enhance the body so that the church may grow and mature. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this afternoon. Thank you that Christ has loved us with an everlasting love, that he came as a mighty warrior and vanquished all our enemies. And not only that, he has given us spiritual gifts so that we can grow and mature in the faith. Oh, what a blessing for your people, Lord. Help us to indeed embrace Christ more and more. Help us to look to his love. Help us to realize that he has done what we could not do. And there is a coming kingdom where there will be no death, no sickness, no pain, no tears. A kingdom ruled in justice and righteousness. A kingdom that is forevermore. Lord, we pray that we may look to eternity. That our eyes may not be on temporal things. Our eyes may be to Christ Jesus, our returning King. Lord, we pray for those who do not know you. That they may realize the danger they are in. Because no one knows the day, the hour, when Christ shall return and vanquish his enemies. And if there is any enemy of Christ here, may they run to him. May they bow before him. May they repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. These things we pray in Jesus' name.